good morning. Let's go ahead and begin today. As you're coming in, if you if you don't have your handout from menu, what we uh, started last week, we didn't get to finish that. Uh, so we'll pick up on the handout where we left off last week. Hope you are doing well this morning. Good to see you here. We've got uh, just a couple more weeks left of this study today, and then next Sunday will be our final uh, study for the summer of understanding biblical change. And we have been um, we've been in this for I guess uh, seven weeks now, seven or eight weeks. So I hope it's been helpful to you, and um, looking forward to learning together for these next couple weeks here. Let's take our Bibles this morning. We'll turn to Second Corinthians three. 18, we'll be looking again at that verse, 2 Corinthians three eighteen, and then um, you could also maybe put a mark in your Bible, we'll be in Luke 24 in just a little bit as well. All right, so we've been learning this summer uh, that real biblical change is um, something that comes about only by the work of the Lord through his word, but it's something that we participate in as we engage in what he has laid out for us as his followers. We know that his agenda is to change us. Um, Our part is to listen to what he has said in his word and follow those instructions. Um, So what we've been talking about in terms of Ephesians chapter 4, Colossians 3, is that this change comes about as we learn uh, what it looks like to put off the ways of the old man, to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, and to put on the ways of the new creation that we are in Christ. So we've spent uh, a few weeks looking at what it means to put off the ways of the old man and how to deal with sinful actions in our life by confessing and forsaking those things. Uh, But we also learned about how the need to put off sinful desires and turn away from those. Then we spent several weeks, and we're still kind of down in that root system of what it looks like to have your mind renewed. Being renewed, we talked about, if you remember way back at the beginning when Mark taught that first lesson, that being renewed is, is an issue of something that is done to us but something that we have to put ourselves in the position in order for it to be done to us. So it doesn't happen, this renewal doesn't happen to us apart from our actually getting into the place where our mind can be renewed. And that's what we've been talking about specifically over the last uh, couple weeks is that renewing of the mind, having our roots of faith deepened and strengthened, our view of God grown only happens as we expose ourselves to the word of God. So this mind renewing will not happen if you have no interaction with the truth of God that's revealed to us in the scriptures. And so we want to be the kind of people that we live our life believing what's always true about God. Not not confessional belief, but functional belief where at every choice in our life, we don't go with our fleshly desires, but we go after who God is and what he is like because we've gotten to know him so well and our mind has been strengthened and renewed in the realities of who he is and what he is like. And what we've been saying is that the key to really believe and love God is spending time with God. You're not going to love and trust and know someone that you don't ever spend time with. And if the root of your life is believing and loving and trusting God, if that's really ever going to take place, then you need to spend much time interacting with God and his word. 
Last week we began looking at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, a very key passage of what this mind renewal uh, would look like for us. And uh, so let's look again at that verse. The Apostle Paul uh, says that we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this beholding the glory of God we talked about last week is an intentional and continual gazing at the glories of God that are being reflected to us by means of the scripture. And this is what we uh, refer to as personal meditation. That because the spirit of God in salvation has come and removed the blinders from our eyes, we can actually see the glories of God reflected to us in the word. And because of the spirit of God, we can actually begin coming to proper understandings of everything that is laid out for us in the Bible. So when we say personal meditation, we're not talking about just reading your Bible. It's not any less than that, but meditating on it is spending a lot of time contemplating the truth, beholding who he is and what he is like, continually praying and saying, God, give me understanding of what these things are. So we talked about this meditation, beholding is an intentional and it is continual. Uh, It's not something that's just going to happen on accident. You don't accidentally read your Bible and meditate on it. That is a commitment on your part. Um, And it's continual. So it's, again, it's not like, hey, I'm gonna go home and read through the book of Leviticus today and I'll be good for the next week. No, it's, it's a continual, daily immersing yourself in the truths of God, meditating on it day and night. And as we behold his glory, something happens, Paul says. The glory of God reflected to us in the word of God is so powerful that it changes us. We are being transformed into the same image. The inner man here is being renewed day by day to be more and more like the one that we're beholding. So that's, that's what he has laid out for us. As we intentionally, continually behold him, he changes us to be more like him. And so what we're going to see today is the second part of the equation that we introduced last week, and that is that this personal meditation plus the Spirit's work of illumination is what brings about this transformation. So that's the last phrase of this verse. All of this thing that we've talked about so far, that as we with unveiled view behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to the next, and he says this, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This transformation that takes place in a believer's life is the work of the Spirit of God through his word. So in other words, what this verse is telling us is this. We do the beholding, he does the transforming. We must be beholding if he is going to transform. So this is what we're referring to today as spirit illumination. So let's talk about this. Now, the New Testament is really clear that our conversion is a result of the Spirit's work. God opens our blinded eyes, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he removes the veil so we can see who Jesus is. The Spirit of God does a work to bring us to repentance and faith. 
But the illuminating work of the Spirit doesn't stop simply at salvation, but it continues on through the life of the believer. In fact, if you think about how Paul interacted with and wrote to the churches um, and how he prayed for them, for instance, Ephesians chapter 1, he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's what we're talking about here. This is the work of the Spirit illuminating you. He has brought you to repentance and faith. You are his child, but he continues to reveal to you the truth and bring this knowledge and understanding, opening your eyes, enlightening your hearts, illuminating you. He prays for the church at Colossae that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is what we're talking about here, that the Spirit of God comes and does a work to illumine, to enlighten, to bring true spiritual wisdom and understanding to the things that we are beholding in His Word. So just because the veil has been removed doesn't mean we have a full understanding of God. The Spirit's work of illumination is necessary in our life as believers for us to come to a right understanding of God and His will and His plans and His purposes. And it's a journey that goes on all through life that as we continually behold the glories of the Lord, the Spirit of God enlightens our eyes. He opens them more and more to see the beauty of who God is. So what we're talking about, this work of the Spirit in the heart and minds of the believers, is bringing about this spiritual understanding It's not just an understanding that, okay, I get it. Now, I can go and explain that to someone else. Now, that's a part of it, but it doesn't stop simply at this mental grasp of it to where you can now explain these things. It's actually coming to where you grasp the eternal significance of it to the point that it changes your beliefs and your affections and your actions. So it's not just grasping it mentally, it's actually where it, as truth, grasps you. So much to the point, it changes you from the inside out. Your beliefs, your loves, and your affections, and your actions. So if we could define this idea of illumination, uh, we, could, we could say that it's this. This is the divine work of the Spirit of God, bringing true spiritual understanding of the Word of God to the people of God, conforming them to the image of Christ. That's what the work of the Spirit's illumination is doing. It's bringing about a full, true, spiritual understanding. But not just this mental understanding of it, but it's an understanding that totally changes the believer because of the Spirit's work. Now, I want to pause right here, and I want to make sure that we understand what I am not talking about. When I say illumination, this is not some form of mysticism, right? There there is a very prevalent thinking in the Christian world today that's very mystical. So I I want you to be very cautious of the people that would say true spiritual knowledge can come from this inner light or this inner voice apart from interacting with the scriptures, There are people that say, you just go, get by yourself, and listen to God. Without the word? If you want to hear God speak, open your Bible and read. 
all right? So I'm not talking about this mystical, just go and try to listen for some inner voice and have this spark of illumination that comes out of nowhere. That's mysticism, looking for some intuitional road to God or this inner prompting. No, no, no. You open your Bible, you read what God has said and preserve for us in the scriptures, you behold the glory and meditate on that. And the Spirit's work of illumination is in line with what he has already said in his word. Okay? So I want to make sure that we're clear on that. It's not just some mystical, oh, the light bulb comes on, but you've never even opened your Bible. (laughs) No, open your Bible, personally meditate on that. That gives the Spirit something to illumine. All right, so let's explore this aspect of the Spirit's illumination. Um, and, and as we get into this, I, I'll just say that a lot of the, the content that we'll go through this morning, I've been helped incredibly by several different people, but one in particular um, is a book that's called Created uh, for His Glory by Jim Berg. Um, it's a very hefty work through the uh, book of Ephesians. Um, but there's, there's a, a section in there, uh, several sections in there about the work of illumination that was very helpful for me. And so um, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about this morning has been adapted from that book. And uh, hopefully it will help you as we think through these things as well. Uh, but first thing that we're going to see on Spirit's illumination is that is, it, it is exclusively a work of God. When the light turns on, so to speak, for the believer and you see the realities of these things and it begins to change you, that is a work of God. Again, Paul prays for the churches that he's writing to that they would be enlightened. Why? Because it doesn't happen naturally. Unless God comes and does a work, we can't make that happen to us. True spiritual understanding is not automatic to us. That's what Paul references in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. Right? I can't know what you're thinking unless you tell me. And that's what Paul is referring to here. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So you're not going to really understand the mind of God unless he reveals himself to you. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So this is good news, right? You're not going to understand God unless he reveals himself to you by his spirit. Good news, he's given you his spirit. And the word of God with the spirit of God is revealing to you these things. But this is a work of God. And having come to faith in Jesus, the spirit of God is now working to enlighten us, to open the eyes of our heart, to illuminate us to the truth. So what this reminds us of is that we must come before the scriptures in complete and absolute dependence. When you open your Bible, you ought to be opening, opening the word with the psalmist's prayer of open my eyes that I would behold wondrous things out of your law. Make me understand your precepts. We must come to the word of God very dependent. When you come to a Sunday morning gathering and the word of God is preached, the prayer of your heart ought to be, speak, O Lord. Show me these things. I I don't want to just hear it. I, I want to understand it in true spiritual wisdom and understanding. Change me by these things, God. Illuminate my heart this morning. That ought to be our prayer, that we come before the word in absolute dependence because it's a work of God to turn the lights on, so to speak. Secondly, illumination is in relationship to the character of God and the person of Jesus. What God is working to do is open our eyes not to just understand Bible facts. The the issue is not about you becoming a Bible scholar. 
What God wants to do is open your eyes to who he is and to the beauties of Jesus Christ. And so illumination is about who God is and how he's revealed himself to us fully in his son. In fact, John chapter 16, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he said that the ministry of the Holy Spirit would be to guide us into truth and glorify Christ. So what's the ministry of the Holy Spirit among us this morning? He's trying to show us Jesus so that Jesus captures our attention and our affections. He's guiding us into that truth. So when we read or hear the Bible taught, the Spirit is working to reveal to us who Jesus is. And that reminds us, again, that that's the nature of the Bible. The scriptures are the revelation of the heart and mind of God as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke 24, and I want you to see this uh, in this uh, in the life of Christ himself after the resurrection. You know, he had raised from the dead, and this is the account of him meeting up with a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus. In Luke 24, in verse 13, Luke says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were walking with each other about, or, or talking with each other about all the things that had happened. The fact that Jesus had been crucified and buried, and they had heard that he had been resurrected, but their eyes, verse 16, were kept from recognizing him. So here they are walking with Jesus. But they don't recognize that it's actually him. And he, Jesus, said to them, what's this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And so they go on and they explain all these kind of things and Jesus begins to interact with them. Go down to verse 25. And he said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So, Here it is, he's beginning to open their eyes to recognize what actually was taking place in the death and burial of Jesus of Nazareth. This isn't just any man, this is the Christ. And he's opening their eyes, verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning the timeline of future events. Oh no, that's not what it says. No, he he opened their eyes, right? He interpreted them, the scriptures, the things concerning himself. This is the nature of what God is seeking to do in illumination so that we actually see Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that you come to understand him more and more. And when he opened the scriptures, beginning from from Genesis all the way through the end of the Old Testament, he spoke concerning himself. Go down to verse 30. And uh, later on, he's with the rest of the disciples, uh, and when he, or with these disciples here, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and here it is, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. That's, they were illumined to the reality. This Jesus, of, this is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. They got it. They didn't just recognize him as another man. They recognized him as who he was in all of his fullness as Christ. Later on, Jesus shows up and uh, the other disciples are kind of nervous, right? Because here he comes through walls and Jesus eats with them and he talks with them in verse 44. 
Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And the understanding that he brought there was not the ability necessarily to explain all the little details and stuff. He opened their eyes to understand, actually, this is revealing the Christ, the Messiah, This is illumination, God's work to open our eyes to who Jesus is. Again, the Bible was not given to you, and the Bible was not given to me so that we can learn how to be better parents, and how to handle our money really well, and how to be nice to mean people and live stress-free, debt-free lives. (laughs) That's not what the Bible was given to us for. Those things are all fruits of something much deeper in our life. The Bible is given to us so that we would see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He gave us this book so that we would come to know him. And when the Spirit of God opens the eyes of your understanding more and more to the glories of Christ, it changes you so deeply. And your view of God is so much greater. Your love for Christ is strengthened. And how does that flesh out in your life? It overflows in godly wisdom and obedience and love. But that comes the more and more you get to know God and see who Jesus is. So the work of the illumination is the Spirit helping you see and understand more of the character of God and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And and what this looks like, uh, thirdly, is that illumination brings about for us life-changing understanding. So again, I'll repeat this. Illumination is not the same thing as you understanding it intellectually. We're talking about a divine work of the Spirit that takes what you've heard or takes what you have read in the Word and he brings true spiritual understanding. In other words, he reveals to you not just the meaning, but the importance of it, the eternal significance of it, so much so that it changes you. So it's not the same as just understanding it intellectually. Also, illumination is not the same as you just getting excited about truth or even fascinated with it. And and we have to be careful of that, that we think that just because we're excited about something that we're actually being changed by it. They're not the same. Because you could hear a message and you could say, wow, I've never heard that before. That is so interesting. That's really cool. Well, I don't think I've ever seen that in there before. Thank you for showing that to me. That's really wonderful. But again, let me just say, discovery and fascination is not the same as illumination. Illumination brings about a life-changing understanding. In fact, what what did Paul say in his prayer to the Colossians? He's praying for the spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So they could be a smarter church? No, because he's not just talking about smarts. He's saying, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. So the work of the Spirit's illumination is not just intellectual to where you're like, wow, I get it. No, it's, it's what moves you and begins to change you in your life. And, and this, is, this is where we can see the Spirit's work of illumination. That when the Spirit opens the eyes of your understanding and you see and behold the glories of God in the face of Christ and he turns the light on so to speak 
it will move you intellectually, okay? It, it will move you to where you say, yes, this is true. I believe it. I embrace this as truth. So it's not you just figuring out now what that means. You've come to see the eternal significance of it, and there's this spirit-led conviction of its reality, that you are absolutely assured of its truth. You're divinely persuaded by the Spirit of God. Have you ever had that happen to you? You, you could tell somebody all about, let's say, the love of God. But when the Spirit illumines your mind to the unfailing love of God for you, it, it changes you, and you are absolutely assured of that. But I, I can tell you of a time in my life, I, I, I grew up hearing all about the love of God. Yes, I could tell you everything about the love of God. But I could tell you where I was when I believe the Spirit of God illumined my understanding to the fact that God loves me with an everlasting love. And that it didn't require my performance to gain his acceptance. And when the Spirit of God turned the light on for me, that it, it, it moved me to say, yes, God, I know that you love, but I believe this. Yes, this is a Spirit-assured, divinely revealed truth. God, you love me. And whenever I hear about the love of God now, it's not something that I'm just like, yeah, that's really cool. It's, it moves me. Because I believe this is truth. But it doesn't stop there intellectually. And, and this is what else would happen. There is this emotional movement. It's where you say, this is wonderful. And I rejoice in this. I delight in this. I, I love this. So it's not that truth is just real to you. It actually becomes attractive to you. You don't just confess it as truth. You find great joy in it. And as you're drawn to it, you love it and you celebrate it. You, you're in awe of it. It becomes a truth. Listen, when the Spirit of God opens your eyes to truth in the Word of God, and there is this understanding that is brought about by the Spirit, you could hear a hundred sermons on that topic a hundred Sundays in a row, and it would, it would never get dull to you. Because your heart overflows in joy about this truth that's been revealed. So I might, I might say with this boredom, with Bible teaching, may be an indication that you've never been illumined to that truth that's being taught. Now I will say some people have a uncanny ability to make biblical truth boring, but um, if, if, if the Bible truth that's being taught is boring to you, Pray that the Spirit of God would open the eyes of your understanding. It moves you emotionally and intellectually, and it moves you and motivates you volitionally. In other words, you bow to it because you're saying, this, this is so convincing. I must obey this. I've got to walk in this. I will live in light of this reality. So it's not only real to you, it's not only attractive to you, but you're moved by an urgency of it and a responsibility to it, and it energizes and motivates you to live in light of it. When the Spirit of God does this work in your heart, it's a significant change that takes place in your beliefs, intellectually, in your affections, emotionally, and in your will, volitionally. It changes you from the inside out. And when your mind is engaged biblically, the heart will be stirred 
and your will will be directed to live for the glory of Christ. And I just say, this is real worship. Worship doesn't come about because some atmosphere is created to make you feel some certain way on a Sunday morning. Worship is when your mind is engaged biblically and your heart is moved toward by that and you respond in obedience. That's true worship. And God is seeking to bring to himself true worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. So it's not about a nice feeling that you have when you're singing or praying. That doesn't mean you're worshiping. Worship is the result of the spirit opening your eyes to the truth about who God is as he revealed in the scriptures. That's why what we do as a church on Sunday morning, the word of God is central to everything that we do. It's very prevalent in the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray, the messages that are preached. Why? Because if we don't understand the word, then what's the spirit going to illumine us to? That's his, his job is to open our eyes to the truth revealed in the scriptures. So This is where true biblical change comes about as we personally behold the glories of God, meditating on the glories of God and opening our heart to the word, the spirit illumines us to these things. This means that true biblical change, what we've been talking about, again, go back to the end of Colossians chapter two. True biblical change doesn't come about because you follow some man-made rule. It doesn't come about because you practice some really good self-discipline in your life. And true biblical change doesn't come about because you have some weird experience apart from the word of God. No, it is a result of the divine work of the spirit of God bringing true spiritual understanding of the word of God to you as a child of God, conforming you to the image of the son of God. That's what is going on here. So again, back to our our equation here. This personal meditation plus the Spirit's illumination is where the transformation takes place. So here's the reality in this. No meditation, (laughs) there won't be a lot of illumination. If you're not spending a lot of time beholding, then the Spirit won't have anything to illumine you to. If you're not in the word, meditating on and beholding his glories, there will be nothing there. The work of the uh, spirit to illuminate and open your eyes is to open your eyes to the truth that you are beholding. So you must be beholding something. Real transformation comes when the spirit of God enlightens our eyes to what we're already meditating on. This is the importance of meditation. Spend time in the word. So are you committed to intentional, consistent meditation on the word of God? Because if we want the spirit to illuminate our understanding and transform us, then we've got to expose ourselves to the sun. Remember like we talked about last week, tanning, right? You have to, the, the sun's powerful enough to change you, but you got to get out in the sun. The Spirit will transform you, but you've got to expose yourself to his word. It has to happen. Think about the ministry of Jesus. Um, Remember how Jesus would tell parables? right? He told a lot of parables. And people just didn't get it. Me being one of... Have you ever read some of the parables going, what is that all about? Right? Okay. So his disciples would come to Jesus and be like, why are you talking in parables? 
People, people aren't getting it. Why are you doing this? And Jesus says, in, in a couple occasions, so that they won't understand. You're like, what? Well, wait a minute. Why? I thought you want them to understand. But Jesus' heart is, the truth is not for people that are just looking for a free lunch or a magic act. Truth is for people who are really longing for it and looking for it. Think to uh, Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower and the seed. Right? Jesus says at the end, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. And at that point, most people walked away. And they said, that was an interesting story. wonder why he told that. But some people hung around. And the ones that hung around were the ones that had ears to hear. And the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, what was that all about? Please tell us. And you know what? Jesus told them. He revealed to them what it was all about. Those who stuck around and they continued in it, those were the ones with ears to hear and they heard it and they got it. Listen, until you devote much time to interacting with this book and the heart of the disciples that say, Lord, what what meaneth these things? (laughs) Until you have that kind of heart that you're willing to just hang around until the Lord reveals it to you, seeking to grow in your belief and your trust and your love for God, this transformation that we talk about, if you're not committed to hanging around and have ears to hear, you won't see this transformation in your life. That's why I say, don't just read your Bible. Meditate on it. Spend time thinking about it over and over again. Praying about it. Asking God to open your eyes to these realities. Okay, so let's get really, really practical with it. Let's say you're here and you, um, you are an impatient kind of a person. And you find yourself and other people find you to be very demanding there's no room for error with you. Well, what are you going to do about that? You think God wants to change you from being that kind of demanding person that's impatient? What are you going to do? Well, maybe in the heat of the moment, you could learn to just count to 10 before you speak. <laughs> maybe you could do some breathing exercises. Take up yoga if you want to, right? Like, okay, those might be helpful, but really that's just dealing with the surface. We want real, true, spiritual transformation to take place. If you're ever going to be deeply changed in your heart, where is the most powerful place for you to see mercy and patience? Open your Bible. That's where you will see the most potent display of mercy and patience. You need a work of the Holy Spirit of God to deeply transform you, to illuminate you to the mercy of God, to the patience of God. So much so that your beliefs and your desires and your actions change. Okay, so what would that look like for you? Uh, If you have your hand out, take your hand out and open it to the middle. There is a, it's not an exhaustive list because it's God, (laughs) Uh, but there is a partial list in the very middle there of some of the glories of God revealed to us in scripture. The glory of God's greatness, the glory of his goodness, the glory of his holiness and his love. And under each of those headings, there's a number of different aspects of his glory. Remember, like we said last week, the bright, white of his, uh, the bright light of his glory shining through the prism of the word. This is the rainbow, so to speak, of all the attributes of God. 
Okay, so if you want to see the impatience and the demanding personality be transformed, then what I would encourage you to do is under the glories of God's love down there at the bottom, you can see God is merciful, God is patient. So what would you do? Well, I memorize the definition. What does it mean that God is merciful? Memorize that. And then as you move across it, you'll see there's passages of scripture where it's clearly stated that God is a God of mercy and patience. You'll see where it's taught in different passages. It takes us times to see how it's illustrated through different uh, parts of the scripture and how it's applied to our life. You say, well, I could probably do that in about 10 or 15 minutes this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, you probably could do that in about 10 or 15 minutes, but if you want to see the Spirit change you to be more merciful and patient like Christ, then you need to spend a lot of time meditating on those passages. Don't move away from them. You continue therein, meditating on it, rereading it, talking about it with other people, praying over it, saying, God, I know in my mind that you are gracious and merciful and you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, but I'm not there. And unless you do a work in my heart, I'm not going to see this. So God, please change me by these truths. Can I just say from personal testimony, this could be a journey of days. It could be a journey of weeks. It could be a journey of even months staying in those passages reading and rereading and meditating on those things, continually, intentionally gazing, beholding, meditating, and you stay there until the Spirit opens your eyes and begins to change you from the inside out. Not so that you can just simply explain that God's a God of mercy and God's a God of patience. No, but you're personally transformed as a result of having been exposed to his glories for so long. Would you be willing to take the time that's required? weeks, months, thinking about the same thing? That's meditation. And the Spirit can illuminate you and transform you. This is being transformed by the renewing of your mind. How often do we like read our Bibles and we're going through and we're like, wow, I have no idea what that meant. Well, let me move on to something else and look for something else practical for my day to help get me through the day. Give me that nugget of truth, right? Why don't you stay there and reread it and say, ah, still didn't get it. Reread it again. Uh, I'm not sure I understand that, Lord. I'm going to come back tomorrow and I'm going to start thinking about these things. You say that, but I want to get through my Bible in a year. Okay. Um, That's a good goal, but sometimes we just need to stop and sit and meditate and ask the Spirit to illuminate Maybe you're here and you have a constant struggle with lust and you're drawn toward immorality and sexual sin. What are you going to do? Get a filter on your computer? Get three really solid accountability partners? Fine, good, do it. But you need your beliefs and your desires transformed. You need the Spirit of God to illuminate you to His beauty, to His holiness, to the all-satisfying nature of God. This is what you need to spend time in, meditating on His glories. And while there's always things to put off and habits to put on, having your mind renewed by the glory of Christ, that's the only thing powerful enough to transform you from the inside out. This is real biblical change. When the Spirit of God illuminates you to the truth that you behold.
So I encourage you to spend much time getting to know God. Again, this handout is designed to be a tool for you uh, to learn how to meditate and get to know God. Let me give you a uh, quick, real, real quick, three resources that I think have been uh, very significant in helping me learn to meditate more on God. Um, God is more than enough. Uh, if you're a deacon, you're going to be reading this book. If you're a deacon's wife, read it as well. Um, if you're a member of the church, I encourage you to get it. If you're not a member of the church, I encourage you to get it. Everyone get it. I recommend it highly. Uh, God is more than enough. It'll teach you really how and why it's so vital to be meditating on who God is. Second one, what do I know about my God? Uh, This was written by a personal friend of ours, uh, Marty Collier. Some of you know her. This is just a testimony of her journey of how she began to just ask that question as she read the word, what does this reveal to me about God? Um, Again, get it. at first I thought, oh, this was just written for ladies, and then I would find myself picking it up and reading it, and I'm like, this is really good. Um, it wasn't written just, I mean, it was written to ladies, but uh, I, was, I was fine reading it. It was really good, so get that. And then Jerry Bridges' book, The Joy of Fearing God, um, is a very significant look at what it means. Th- th- that sounds like a, a contradiction of terms, joy and fear, but the joy of getting to know and live in the light of who God is, it, it's transforming. Those are three resources that'll help you not replace the Bible. This will teach you what it looks like to meditate on the realities revealed in the word and how to read the word and how to meditate on it. And as you intentionally, consistently behold the glories of God, you're thinking about it. You're worrying about who God is, right? You're looking at it from every different angle. Ask that the spirit of God would illuminate the eyes of your understanding and he will transform you more and more into his image for his glory. So next week, we will close this by looking at what it looks like to put on the new man that we are in Christ and how to live in light of that new creation. I hope this will be helpful for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, teach us what it looks like to be persistent in the word, to continue therein and not be forgetful hearers. Help us to meditate and behold your glories constantly. Lord, may the, may the reality of this church family be more and more that we are captivated by your glory because we've spent so much time beholding it, thinking about it, not just being intellectuals of it, but those that love and are moved by who you are. So help us to come before your word in dependence and help us to come to your word looking to see you. So I pray even this morning, Holy Spirit, Would you illuminate the eyes of our understanding to the things that we see in your word and help us to be changed by it? I pray all this for your glory in Christ's name, amen.